All right, let's uh, turn in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 3. It's great to see all of you, and we're going through a book study for our, for our Bible study time here this morning. Um, and we're going through verse by verse through 1 John. And we're going to look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. The title of the message is Growth. And if you've noticed... Um, a lot of this study through 1 John is all about the basics, the basics of our faith, kind of bringing everything back to what really matters. The core ingredient of the church is love. That's what the church is all about. And um, from time to time, we need to come back to what really matters and to the basics and basic foundations of our faith and, and why we're all here and gathered together. Uh, John is writing as an old man. And he knew God's love. He was a man that knew God's love. And last week we talked about abiding in Christ. And when we abide, there is growth. Growth produces eventual fruit. And the question this morning is, as we look into the mirror of God's word, are we growing? Let's look in verse 1. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God, Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself, just as he is pure. And whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And whoever has been born of God does not sin. For his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin, because he has been born of God. And in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother." This is God's word. Growth. As, as throughout chapter 2 and chapter 3, we see John drawing from that illustration that Jesus gave to his disciples about a vineyard and a vine dresser, and, and the vine dresser must prune the vines. And the, the whole idea in that agrarian culture is to give an idea of how our lives are to be lived out as believers in Jesus Christ. And he uses that illustration of like a vine, or we could, we could even cross over into trees, or you look at a living organism, because that's what the church is, and that's who you are. You're a living organism, and as a tree grows up and it matures, it produces fruit, and that's the purpose of the tree, to produce fruit. And so John is drawing from this analogy so that we can understand and we can look, first of all, are we connected to Christ by faith, which means that we are connected, you know, with his, 
with, with the Father through his finished work on the cross? And then are we abiding in Christ? Meaning the branch has to be connected to the, to the tree stump in, for, in order for it to be alive. But then ultimately, are we bearing fruit? Because God wants you to be a fruit bearer, not just a twig, not just a tumbleweed just being blown around by the winds, but a life that bears fruit of kindness and gentleness and patience. And these things all come from our walk with God. So John here is continuing on that theme in chapter 3, and he's talking about how we grow in the gospel. And when there's growth in the gospel, we should produce three things that I see here. Number one, amazement. Number two, alignment. Number three, discernment. We produce amazement, alignment, and discernment. First of all, amazement. We look at those first two verses. Behold, it's really kind of a, it's a shout. Behold, when you look at it in the original, what manner of love has bestowed upon us? John, this is the crescendo of First John, is this chapter 3, verse 1. Because John is talking about the grace of God and the love of God and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And he is the light. And he comes up to this pinnacle in the letter. And he says, oh, he's almost losing it right here. Saying, behold, what manner of love. And he's amazed. He's amazed at the gospel. He's amazed at the love of God. This is an outburst coming from John in this letter. Only one thing matters to him here in this verse, and it's the love of God. That's the only thing that matters to John. He uses the word here bestowed in the original, in the Greek, it speaks of a gift, which is a little odd. Because if you walked up to somebody, and someone you love, your wife or your child or whatever, and you said, I bestow my love upon you. That sounds kind of weird, wouldn't it? But we just say, I love you. But what John is talking about is an event that happens in your life. It's an event of God's love coming all over you, of God's love being revealed to you, and you're never the same of, uh, same again. And he uses that word bestowed. The only analogy that we can have is, is a marriage. The, um, a marriage, when two people come together, it's an event. And in that event, two people pledge their love for one another. And, and they pledge till death do us part. And it's an event that takes place before our friends and our family and before God. And that's what John is speaking about. Behold what manner of love he has bestowed upon us. And in this case, it's perfect love. And it comes on us and it changes us and it transforms us. And we're never the same again. And when he says here, behold, John doesn't just tell us that God loves us, but he is receiving the love of God. We could say he's doing it right in front of us in this letter. He's being loved by God in that verse. He's not just giving us information. John in his heart is being loved by God and he's reveling in the love of God. John is going crazy here because of something that is true about God and it's blowing apart his rationality. It's blowing apart everything, all of his thoughts. And that's the you know, you wouldn't know this on face value, you know, in our, in our English translations, but when you study the original, everything is emphasized, and it's this huge event, and John is blown away. And all he's saying here is, I'm an old man, I've lived a long life, but if you have this, man, you have everything. If you have the love of God, you have everything. You have everything that you need for this life. That's, 
That's what he's saying in verses 1 and 2. This word manner, behold what manner of love is an idiom. And idioms are hard to translate in another language or in another culture. Like if you go over to Asia, you don't say it's raining cats and dogs. Everyone would take cover, you know, for fear that dogs and cats are going to be pouring out of the sky. That's an idiom. We understand in our culture what it means it's raining cats and dogs. And so this word, manner, is hard to translate into English because it is an idiom. But what it means is from another galaxy from another world, from another country, from another land. Behold what manner. It's, it's an alien love. It it's, sounds like a good song, doesn't it? Alien love. Anyway, um, it, it's, it's, it's not found in this world. It's a t- kind of love and a depth of love that is not found in any other relationship with any other person. It's not a love that you can receive from any human. It's only a love that comes from another world to us. And that's what the gospel is. God broke out of heaven. He left heaven in his perfection and perfect glory and came into this stinky world. And he gave us his love. He showed us his love. And the world has seen nothing like it. And this is what John is amazed in. See, the Pharisees so twisted the Torah and the word of God, they knew all about God, but they forgot the love of God. And this is possible for any of us. We can know a lot about God, but what John, the the point of John's letter is that we would never stop in our wonder of God. Have Have we lost our wonder of his love? Our amazement of his love? I mean, that's every day, you know, we we wake up. Consider that. Consider what Jesus has done for you. When when we lose the wonder of his love, we start living a merit-oriented relationship with God, doing the right thing in order to receive his love. But he's saying, oh, what manner of love has been bestowed on us. It's a gift of God. It's an event that happens to you. Nothing you've done to earn that love, but it's just given to you through Jesus Christ. And that's what John is stoked about. See, it's all about how we relate to God. And what John wants us to come into is the same fellowship that he has with God, he wants us to have that fellowship with him. And he wants us to have that fellowship with one another. When you receive your paycheck, you don't say, behold, what manner of love you have to give me my paycheck today. No, you say, I worked hard, I earned it, give me my stinking paycheck, I want it right now. Because you worked for it. But when it's, and you've earned it. And so this is, the opposite of that. John is saying, I haven't earned any of God's love, but he's given it to me freely. And he's rejoicing in the grace of God. What makes you a real Christian and a Christian that appreciates and is always in wonder of the love of God, not just the religious person, but what makes you a real Christian is that your salvation is one in a million chance. All of God's love and grace is given to you and you're filled in wonder of his love in a way that changes everything. You haven't earned it. You don't go to God, hey, God, work this out for me because I've been going to church every week. Actually, last week I walked to church on my knees. So answer this prayer. No, we're amazed by God's grace. That's John. That's the fruit from his life. That's the growth. And it sounds almost the opposite, right? It sounds like the event comes 
we realize God's love for us, we're running from God, right? We're rebelling against God, but yet we hear the gospel and we're, we're blown away at the love of God for me in spite of myself. And we're amazed and it's an event. And just like in a human event of, of, like I mentioned marriage, you come together, right, and you have your honeymoon, and sometimes marriages can dwindle down. You lose the emotion. You can lose uh, in that human type of love. But what John is saying, the way that we grow in the gospel is that the more we get, the older we get, the, um, the more amazed we are. And we never exhaust that amazement and that wonder. I remember a great theologian was... Uh, talking, and I forget his name right now because this just came to mind, but they asked him, you know, what's the, what's the f- foundational doctrine? Give us a theological presentation of, of, you know, the glory of God or whatever. And he says, and he's an old man. I believe it was John Stott. And he said, all I know is Jesus loves me. This I know. That's all he said. For the Bible tells me so. He was answering this seminary class, what's the greatest truth? And he just quoted that simple song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And to him, that was the greatest at the end of his life as a great theologian. Because it comes back to that. Just being loved by God and being in wonder and amazement of his love. All right? And then we see in verses 3 through 6 that the way we grow in the gospel is alignment, growth in alignment with the gospel. Notice in verse 4, he, he says here, because apparently in this, um, in this time, there are some different words used for sin. So he clarifies in verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness because lawlessness is sin. And he's aligning the reader in coming to terms with their own state, right? And we do the same in our day. We call, we have different names for sin, and a lot of people don't like using that word. You'll get rebuked for using the word sin. So we use the word dysfunction, dysfunctional, or error, or misstep, right? But what he's saying is all those things comes down to one thing, sin, (laughs) inconsisting with inconsistency with God. It's the Greek word harmatea, which means quite simply to miss the mark, the, the bullseye in, in righteousness and in morality. And all of us have missed the mark. And you can call it whatever you want, a struggle, a habit, a misstep, an error, a dysfunction, whatever. It's sin. <laughs> and Jesus came to die for sin, for he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. We missed the mark. He hit the mark. He gave us his record, perfect record of righteousness, and took our record of injustice and immorality and nailed it to the cross, the penalty of that. I think of another scripture that speaks of this alignment. It's the same theme in verses 3 through 6, coming from the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.14. Because he was challenging the church at that time, the Galatians, because they were drifting away from the grace of God. They were drifting away from the love of God. They were losing their wonder and their amazement of God's love for them. And so he spoke to that, Paul did, and he said, I saw that they were not straightforward from the truth of the gospel. They weren't straightforward. And that word straightforward is is the word orthopedeo, and it means to walk straight. Now, pedeo, you, you know, if you 
have problem with your feet and you can't need to walk, right? You go to a podiatrist, right? And if your teeth are crooked, you go to an orthodontist. And you go to the orthodontist to get your, you know, your, because your donusts aren't straight, right? So it's taking those two words to walk straight. You know, this would be something that if someone was testing, if police pulled you over and testing you for DUI, the, police, the officer demands that you would do orthopedeo. Now, he wouldn't use those terms, I, I promise you, but that's what you would have to do, to walk straight. The gospel, the same thing that John is saying is the gospel is the line. And so let's not confuse the issue. It's, it's, there's, a, there's a trajectory, there's a line of the gospel that God's love and grace wants us to get into. But it's not just his grace, it's his truth. God takes truth, absolute truth, that we read in scripture, and then he, he gives us his truth, and we've fallen short of the, of the truth, of the perfection of God. But then he supports us through his grace, through the finished work of Jesus on the cross, and he helps our lives get on line, get on a trajectory. We're not there yet, we haven't arrived yet, but we're going, it's like a pendulum. We're, we're, we're getting on the right path. That's what John wants the reader to do, get on the right path. You know, Martin Luther, he, he describes this, that a Christian is simultaneously just and a sinner all at the same time. Simultaneously, in the Latin, simul justice et peccator. We're at the same time, we're justified before God. We're perfect in his sight right now. It says in Ephesians that we're sitting in heavenly places. But at the same time, we struggle with sin. And John doesn't want us to lose sight with that reality and get on the right track. See, the gospel has a force to it, has a power in the here and now. It's the truth. We could call it the center of gravity, the gospel is. The truth and grace has been set, and now it's our job to align every part of our life with that. Our marriages, our families, our business practices, you know, our, every part of our life. It's been set through the cross, through the gospel, and now we just align our life with it. But to walk in line with the gospel, we walk, it's, it's a course over the entirety of our life. See, we are to be congruent with that line, with that trajectory. We fall, and what that means is we fall under it, we surrender to it. We surrender to the reality of the gospel, all of our attitudes, all of our actions, all of our perspectives. It's not about pressure. It's not a whip like get in line from God. It's a blessing. The gospel is the most amazing. It's good news. And we surrender to the good news. You can't have grace without truth. The gospel is truth and grace. And Jesus was truth and grace was demonstrated on the cross simultaneously truth in that Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of God to be in relationship with him and all the justice of God was poured out upon him and he received it unto himself even though he committed no sin but in that same act he declared and showed us how much he loves us and so Jesus was the embodiment of truth and grace on the cross. Because you can't have one without the other. On the one hand, if you take 
relate to God through religion and moralism, that stresses truth over grace, for it says that we must obey the truth in order to be saved. But on the other hand, the relativist or irreligion stresses grace over truth, right? I'm okay, you're okay, don't worry about it, get over it. For they saw, say that we are all accepted by God, or even if there is, is a God, and we have to decide what is true for us. But truth without grace is not really truth, and grace without truth is not really grace. Jesus was full of grace and truth, and John wants us to understand that tension. Because it's in that tension that we see the gospel, and we see the trajectory of the gospel. Because the believers that John's writing to, they, they're getting away from the truth part. They're saying, ah, everyone's got problems, everyone's got habits, whatever. You know, I'm saved by grace, I can do whatever I want, right? But when you understand that Jesus was beaten and, and crushed for that sin, it, may, it, it, it sets our hearts in the right place, in the right trajectory. The real gospel gives us a God far more holy than the moralist can bear, since their morality is only a filthy rag before him and far more loving than a relativist can even imagine. The gospel gives that to us. You know, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's one of my favorite authors and Bible teachers and preachers, he's not alive anymore, but he writes this story about a man that came to him later in his life, and he grew up with a really rough childhood. His dad was an alcoholic and just had this, he was off and on, and he just, he had a lot of problems, right? And their parents split up, and he went to go live with his mom. And so she was very religious, very plugged into the church, very plugged in to all the civic uh, places for service and, and volunteering. And she, her ducks were in a row. She was a very moral person, where his dad was a very immoral person. But when he when he started coming back to God, he went to Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones and he wanted to work this out because he was struggling. What he was struggling with is as he grew up, his dad, even though he was immoral, his dad, he could feel his love. And he could talk to his dad and his dad would sit and listen, even though his life was messed up. And he started to talk about his mom to Martin Lloyd-Jones and he said this, about her, he said, her morality was like the beauty of a snowflake, perfect, flawless, detailed, and freezing. Because if we relate to God, the gospel is not religion. It's not re religiosity, I should say. The gospel is realizing, you know, it's, it's what Martin Luther said, uh, simul justice et peccator simultaneously just and a sinner and then Jesus is there on the cross receiving the justice for our sins and extending grace he's the embodiment of truth and grace you can't have grace without truth and truth without grace right John is pro promoting the true powerful transformative gospel Truth and grace perfectly fit together within our lives. It's almost like an equation. Truth plus grace equals love. And then he says, without love, it just means that we don't know the gospel. You know, it's like, it's the, it, it's, if you're a mathematician, it adds up. You can't, you know, um, you know, mathematics are not open to interpretation. 
They, it either is, it either adds up, it either equals this or it doesn't. And John is saying, if we don't love, if we don't have love in our life, either we don't know the truth part or we don't know the grace part. We might be very religious and very moral, but we don't know the grace of God and therefore we don't love people. And we might go to church every Sunday and, and do all these great things and volunteer for everything that needs to happen, but without the grace component, there's no love. But if you have all the grace without the truth, you think you love people by letting them do whatever they want to do, but you're not loving them. So it's truth plus grace equals love, and we know that we have the gospel, and we know that we're in alignment with the gospel, and, and on the proper trajectory, how? John just says it as clearly, clearly as it can be. Love. Love, love, love. <laughs> so are we growing in that? So we grow in our amazement of his love. We grow in alignment with his love, the truth of the gospel. And thirdly and lastly, verses 7 through 10, we grow in our discernment, growth and discernment in light of the gospel. The subject here is doing the right thing. And people ask, what are the problems of the world today, right? If you ask that question, what are the problems of the world today? And you probably get an answer, some, something like, well, there's not enough love in the world. And then you follow up with the question, well, um, what would be, would the world problems be solved if everyone was like you? And it's amazing how many people say, yeah, I think it would be, you know. You know, we have kind of this false view of ourselves. So what does it mean to have discernment? See, it goes right into that. It's almost, it's almost the same theme. It's like a diamond. You know, you look at it at a different angle. And the word of God is like that. It's like every time you turn it, even one scripture, you see something. And he's, he's taking these themes of alignment and amazement. He's saying that's what gives us discernment in life. We, we know what's black. We know what's white. We know what's right. We know what's wrong. We're able to make decisions. We have discernment about people, discernment about every aspect of our life. Well, how? It's born out of knowing the gospel, right? Because in chapter 1, notice here, it's kind of wild because in verse 6, uh, John is saying, um, whoever abides in him does not sin. Now, is he talking about sinless perfection? I remember there was a preacher, I heard this story years ago, this is a hundred years ago, but this, this preacher believed in sinless perfection, that you could actually attain to a place where you were just like Jesus and you had no sin. So he's teaching at a conference with Charles Spurgeon, who is a great preacher, and he started going off on his doctrine, you know, and Charles Spurgeon actually walked up and dumped this bucket of water on his head. And the guy got all upset, and he started yelling. And, and uh, Charles Spurgeon said, see, you do have sin after all. Look at how angry you got, you know. He was trying to make a point. Is that what John is speaking about, sinless perfection here? Because it would contradict what we studied in chapter 1. What did he say? If you have no sin, you make God to be a liar. You, 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 you're deceiving yourselves. So which is it, John? Do we have sin or not sin? What he's speaking about is that trajectory, is that discernment in life. And when you look at that word he's used, that word sinned, in the King James Version, it can even be more uh, almost disturbing. It says, Whosoever abideth in him sinneth 
not. And whoever sinneth hath not seen him, neither known him. Whoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin. And we read that, and I think that's one of the most misinterpreted scriptures in the Bible. That's not what John is saying, that we can attain to sinless perfection. Actually, it's it's almost the opposite, but let me explain. The word sins there, in the original, it means a prevailing habit. That's what it means, a prevailing habit. It means habitually sinning to no end. See, Jesus has given us the prescription, the remedy for our sin. Not, us to, not just to forgive us of our sin, but conquer, be victorious in the power of sin. And what John wants us to do is get on the right path and know that there's a provision made for those issues in our life and the troubles in our life and the mistakes and all those things that we talk about. And that we are to address those head on and to realize that the, the gospel is the answer for these things. Instead, and what he's talking about is there's growth going on. Notice here, and, and Paul said this, you know, Paul said, you know, I, I know what is right and why do I, I don't do it. I don't know why I don't do it in Romans chapter 7. I wish I did what I wanted to do, but it seems like I do things I don't want to do. And woe is me, you know, I'm a wretched man. And he, he, he feels like he's so caught up in the love of God, but yet he carries this this flesh around, right? That wants Twinkies. You know, this flesh that wants stuff and wants comfort in these things. And he says, why don't I do what I want to do? And so this, this is what Paul is speaking about. He's in touch with who Jesus is and who he is. And that's what John is meaning here in verse 6. He's saying it, our lives grow out of that. Our lives don't stay the same. There's not a habitually sinning to no end. There's a transformation that goes on in our life. And, you know, I've had people come to me that, and they read this verse and they say, you know, they walk up and they say, I've done something so bad that I can't be a Christian. I'm like, well, tell me, well, I've lied and I've cheated. And the Bible says that if you're a Christian, you don't sin. And I've sinned. And I go, well, do you worry? Yeah, I worry. What are you worried about right now? That God doesn't love me. Well, that's a sin right now. Why are you worried about? See, God has given you a provision where you don't have to fear, where you don't have to worry. He's made provision for your sin for every, every time we've crossed the line or missed the mark. And we don't have to stay in that. And so John is getting us into a place of discernment. And the reason I say it's about growth is, notice he says here that that seed, in verse 9, he says, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him. Notice that God's love is a seed and not a waterfall. It's both encouraging and convicting, these verses are for us, because they're meant to get us in line with truth and grace and into the love of God. But if you take a seed and you plant a seed under concrete, the sidewalk, and you take a daffodil seed, how long is it going to last? Not very much. But if you take an oak tree seed, an oak seed, and you plant that under a concrete sidewalk, pretty soon it's going to bust out and bust through that concrete. 
And what John is saying, you have been given that seed and it's going to grow over time and it's going to bust through the hardness of our heart and the areas of our life that we feel like are concrete and unbreakable. And we're so discouraged with these aspects of our character that we don't feel like we have, we're powerless to change ourselves. But John is saying, if you have the gospel, it's a seed. And what happens is that you're going to change a little bit. And that's why, you know, those of you who are my friends, who walk with God, I see you a little less ornery than last year, a little less, you know, selfish than last year. Hopefully you see that about me. It's about a trajectory. We're not going to arrive. But he says it here that when we see him, that's when we're going to be like him. That's when we see him for who he is, we're going to be like him, but not until we see him. And he's saying that's the hope that is the anchor to our life. And that hope, knowing that we are indeed going to see him, we want to live for him. We, we know that we're going to stand before him, right? And so it, it, it rearranges, it, it changes completely it, our lives and our focus and our priorities. But it doesn't happen overnight, guys. Husbands, your wives, they need to be, that seed needs to be watered with the word Wives, your husbands, they're, they're, they're not Jesus yet. They will be in heaven, then you won't even be married, so what a deal, huh? But they're not Jesus. They're sinners. But the point is, do they have the seed of the gospel growing? And how are we helping each other, reminding each other, watering that seed so that truth and grace can more and more grow and bust through the concrete of hardness in our lives? And so John is saying, if you have this, if you're a little more patient than last year, it means you have the seed. You're not there yet. You're rough around the edges, but you have this seed. So that's what I mean by it's both convicting, but it's also encouraging at the same time. Getting, being right with God is not about a crisis. <laughs> a lot of people, we call them foxhole believers, right? And all of a sudden, you know, they, you know, they face an illness or something major. Or they commit a crime and all of a sudden, oh, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. You know, I give you my life. I promise if you get me out of this mess, I'm going to serve you. I'm going to become a priest. If you get me out of this situation, right? And we, in the, it's in the midst of the crisis that we have this facade of repentance, right? And that's what John is addressing, He's saying if just in your crisis you turn to God and you pray and just in your crisis you have this little flash of repentance and, and desiring God but then you go on living just the way that you've always lived. He's saying you don't have the seed because don't tell me about crisis. John is saying what are the prevailing habits, habit patterns of our lives? That's what he's asking and it leads us to love ultimately. That's, that's the line. That's the goal. That's love. And I love that, that that is our mission. That's where we're going in Christ. As a gospel-centered fellowship, we are going to become more loving next year than we are this year. It's a promise. The seed is going to bear more fruit next year than this year. If, it, it, who doesn't want to be a part of that? A group that's growing in love. We have so many relationships that are, you know, Moving away from love, right? Getting tired, but the gospel leads people in love. 
and into a community of love, love for God, love for one another. I want to close with this story. It's a historical story about John because Eusebius was a second century, um, one of the church fathers. And he tells about John. He knew John. And Eusebius tells a story, something that happened in John's life late in his life because at one time John, the the author under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, 1 John, he was discipling a young man in the church that he had planted and pastored. He's discipling this young man, and he had come out of a really rough background. He was a, basically an ancient gangsta. You know, he, he was, he'd, he'd be with this gang, and they'd live up in the hills, and then when people would travel through Turkey and through that, and Greece and through that part of the world, you know, they were like bandits, and they'd come and storm in and take everything, right? And so this guy, this young man, was part of this group, part of this gang. Well, John preached the gospel to him, and this young man received Christ. And he was growing in Christ, and he even was, over a period of a couple years, was a, was a servant and a minister and a leader in that church. And God had done this great work with him. Well, John went away on a journey because he would often do that. Uh, even when he couldn't walk anymore, they would carry John around on a stretcher. And he would just, they would just set him down in the middle of the church, and he would just talk about God's love, right? And so he went on, we could say, a, an apostolic tour. And he was, he was gone for a period of time. Well, he came back, and he found out um, that this young man had gone back to his gang because John was gone for quite a while, and something happened that discouraged him, and he went back to his own lifestyle. And then John, when he had heard this, first thing he said was, give me a horse. It's before he couldn't walk. Give me a horse. And he took this horse and he rode up by himself up into the hills to this cave where this gang, and no one would ever in their right mind go, and, and it'd be like going right into the middle of Watts, right, and start preaching the gospel. Um, John went, went right up there, and this kid, uh, and John was right out in the open because he wanted this young man to see him on purpose. And so this young man saw it was John, and he started running as fast as he could the other direction. And this Eusebius tells a story about how John chased after him, and he was screaming at this young man from the top of his lungs, I will die for you like Christ died for me. You can trust me. I love you. That's an awesome story. And only growing in the gospel of grace can make you into a person like that. A person that people can trust. They'll confide in you. Why? Because they know that you love them because you've been transformed by the love of God. And we can say to others, I will love you like Christ loved me. That's what love is. There's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. And it all starts with God (laughs) laying down his life for you feel insignificant this morning we're just people we're just humans we're just individuals in a sea of people but yet God came because he loves you so much he gave his life for you he laid down his life for you that's how much he loves you and to see that and to see also why he had to do that because we have sinned and rebelled against God there was a someone had to pay the penalty and Jesus paid it for us to see it like that The perfect blend of truth and grace, it equals love in our life. That's the fruit. So the exhortation, let's grow in that. Let's grow in the gospel.
and not stop. All the table's been set. It's like a banqueting table that's been set for you to come and eat and to participate in the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, the agape love, unconditional, sacrificial. And we admit that in our human state, we, we don't have that. So, Lord, we now just look to you by faith, and we recognize our flaws and our failings, and we recognize our powerlessness to, to fix those things up, and we come to the cross, and we see you on the cross taking all of that for us so that we wouldn't have to absorb the penalty for our sins. You absorbed it for us in your love for us. And somewhere in that truth, the gospel, the simple gospel, if we just look to that, in there is power for our lives. It's the power of the Holy Spirit because your spirit is trying to get us into the gospel and to live our lives in it and to grow in the gospel. And it's a power that no human can manufacture. And no words that I say this morning can, can feed us with that power. It's just you. It's just the living God. So God, we just bring ourselves to you, everything. And we thank you that you've set us on a course for the gospel. I pray for anyone this morning who has not consider these things Lord as you're speaking to them and they're realizing that they need Christ this morning I pray Lord that they would not leave this building without just maybe talking with someone and praying with someone about the next step or what should happen from here so thank you Lord for your grace in Jesus name amen let's all stand we're going to close in a prayer but really if you're here this morning and you just God's speaking to you and you feel like you know what? I need this gospel. If that's you, we're going to have some some elders here and some people just hanging out up front and just to pray with you. So just come up and introduce yourself and say, "Hey, can I pray with someone? Can you do that?" So let's let's sing. <laughs>